Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2. It's a long one. I'm going to read the entire chapter to you, even though the focus of the sermon is three verses therein. This is the Word of God. It contains everything that you and I need for life and godliness. And it is the Word, the authoritative Word of God to us, not just the words of Daniel the prophet, but actually of God Himself. Listen to what God has to say to you. Starting in Daniel chapter 2, reading through the end of this chapter, 2-1. Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand that dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But, if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time, inasmuch as you have seen that the command from me is firm, that that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation." The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter to the king, inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this to any of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king declares uh, demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except the gods or accept gods, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, went forth, that the wise men should be slain. And they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Ariok, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had come forth, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Ariok, the king's commander, For what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Ariok informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, about the matter, in order that they might request compassion from the, from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. And it is he who changes the times and the epochs. 
He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To thee, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for thou hast given me wisdom and power. Even now thou hast made known to me what we requested of thee, for thou hast made known to to us the king's matter. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. And the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, you, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about what the king, about, about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the vision in your mind while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turned to what would take place in the future. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than in any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king, and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. You, O king, were looking... And behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay." You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and because and became rather like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we shall tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And whatever the sons of men, wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand, and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. And after you, there will arise another kingdom, inferior to you. Then a third kingdom of bronze which will rule over all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom, as strong as iron. Inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things, so, like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all things in pieces. And in that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom. 
but it will have in it the toughness of iron inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men. But they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. And the king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made the request of the king, made request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a sure word, that it is, as we've just read, a trustworthy word. Would you please um, speak to us afresh this morning through it, that we might better serve you in our day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids, have you ever asked yourself, all all eyes up here, kids, I want to ask you all something, okay? Um, Have you ever asked yourself, And maybe you've never done this, but maybe you have. Have you ever asked yourself why things that happen in your life happen? I'll give you an example. Have you ever wondered why you have the parents you have and not some other parents? Why you live in East Texas and not Uruguay or China? Um, Why you like certain foods and don't like other kinds of food. Why you skinned up your knee the last time you skinned up your knee? Or got poison ivy the last time you got poison ivy? Why you had such a fun day, let's say, yesterday? You ever ask yourself questions like that? Now, maybe you haven't. A lot of people don't ask those questions, but ask yourself those questions right now. Why are those? did those things happen to you? Now, there are often certain immediate reasons for why things happen the way they happen. For example, let's say you did have a fun day yesterday, a really fun day yesterday, and you asked, why did I have such a fun day yesterday? Well, because you were at an amusement park down in Houston the whole day, and that's why it was fun. Now, you weren't, you children probably weren't there, but let's say you had been. That would explain, at least in the uh, immediate way, in the immediate way, why you had such a fun day. Um, the fact that you live in East Texas is because you were born to the parents that you have and they live in East Texas and you live with them and you got to live in East Texas. So these are kind of immediate reasons for some of these things I just mentioned. But here's the thing, kids. There's a bigger, another bigger reason why these things have happened to you and all the things that will happen to you over the course of your life happen to you. You know what that is? It's because God decided ahead of time that it would be that way in your life. That's why. God decided ahead of time, actually in eternity, before time and before the world ever began, that your life was going to unfold the way it is unfolding in all these various details in your life. And that is one of the major lessons uh, that 
is we're going to look at and talk about more in this uh, sermon this morning. This incident of which we read here in Daniel chapter 2 occurred um, in Babylon, obviously, around approximately 600 years before Christ was born. God uh, had already uh, begun the process of using the pagan Babylonian empire to punish the Old Testament church, which was Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah. He'd already taken care of Israel. They'd already been uh, 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 annihilated by the Assyrians and carried off into captivity uh, 150, 120 years prior. Uh, and God is in the process at, at this stage when this uh, event occurred of punishing the nation of Judah for her long-standing spiritual rebellion uh, against God and unwillingness to serve him and believe in him. The armies of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon at this time, besieged Judah on three separate occasions. I mentioned them in Sunday school for those of you who were there. He the initial, the first siege of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar's armies was in 605 B.C., the second was in 597 B.C., and the third and final and worst siege was in 586 B.C., when Judah ceased to be a nation at that point in time. They were carried off en masse into captivity. And each of those occasions, each of those three sieges, on each of those occasions, um, some Jews, a, a certain number of Jews were captured and were carried off back to Babylon by the Babylonian armies. Daniel and his friends, his three friends, um, whose actual Jewish names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, we usually refer to them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're uh, Chaldean names, but Daniel and his three friends were captured and carried off to Babylon during the first siege, which was... Um, 605, Ezekiel was caught up in the second siege in uh, 597 B.C. But they left, they were uh, captured and carried off to Babylon in the first siege. Now, on this occasion of which we read here, Nebuchadnezzar has had a nightmare, a very unpleasant dream that was given to him intentionally by God himself. It was supernaturally given, well, it was given to him by God, we'll just put it that way. And the Lord through this dream, is intent on using it as a means by which he is going to communicate to um, his future plans, not only to Nebuchadnezzar, but more importantly to his covenant people through Daniel, who is going to be informed of the dream and its interpretation. But he gives the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king. The dream, we are told, in verses 1 and 3, made Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar troubled in his spirit and anxious. And the reason for this, of course, was the sense of foreboding uh, that he felt when he awakened from that dream. He was very, very uh, distraught. And his unease is exacerbated by the fact that Nebuchadnezzar apparently, we can't know this for sure, but it seems probable from the language in the text, apparently was unable to remember the specific content of the dream. He just knew it was unpleasant, but he apparently uh, didn't know the specific content of it, which is, of course, a fairly common uh, occurrence uh, today for many of us. You wake up from a dream and you want to remember it. You have feelings that accompany it, but you can't remember. What, what, was, it, what was that dream about? I, I've had that happen regularly. Maybe, probably many of you have too. At any rate, so that's the situation. And Nebuchadnezzar's apparent inability to remember the dream and uh, coupled with the sense of panic that he feels uh, after waking up from the dream prompts him to call his advisors into his presence and give them an ultimatum. And the ultimatum is found in verses 2 through 6. Um uh, Actually, I'll just read, uh, I'll just read verse 4 through 6. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king. This is right after he said, oh yeah, I need to read what the king said. The king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit, verse 3, is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. O king, live forever. Uh, tell the dream to your servants and we will declare the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream, 
and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. His counselors quite um, reasonably respond to the king's demand with the following observation, found in verses 10 and 11. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king, inasmuch as no king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except gods, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. The Chaldeans... Clearly respectful objection, trying to be respectful, objection to the king's unreasonable demand made of them doesn't go over well. He's infuriated by what they say to him in response to his ultimatum, and he gives orders to have all the wise men of his realm put to death, including Daniel and his three friends, who are numbered among those wise men at this point in time. As Arioch, the commander of the, bo- of the king's bodyguard, is about to carry out his master's bloody edict, Daniel gets his attention, um, and verses 15 16 tells us what happens next. Um, I'll read that. He answered and said to Arioch, the, command- the king's commander, For what reason is the king, is the decree from the king so urgent? As if to say, Does this have to happen immediately? Can we not stop and think a little bit or consider before we before you're required to act on the king's edict? Then Ariok informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. So he does this. Um, and then verses uh, 7 through 19 tell us what happened next. Daniel immediately went to his three friends and said, We need to have a prayer meeting now. And uh, they began praying, Oh God, would you have compassion on us by giving us what the king wants so that we can all keep uh, our, ourselves and others alive uh, for uh, another day. Well then, verses 20 through 23 records the words of praise that Daniel offered up to God immediately after he revealed to him. We, are, we learn in verse 19 that the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, and then Verses 20 and 20 through 23 uh, are the subsequent prayer of praise that Daniel offers up to God uh, after he received the understanding of the king's dream and its interpretation. And that, by the way, this is all by way of introduction, it is on this prayer that we read in 20 through 23 that we'll be focusing the remainder of our time here um, in uh, this morning. There are three relatively brief points that I'm going to... Uh, uh, derived from this text, or that that come out of this text, I should say. I'm not deriving them. They're there. First is this. Daniel blessed the God of heaven. That's what he's called by Daniel in uh, verse 19. Daniel blessed the God of heaven because all power and wisdom belongs to him. All power and wisdom. Secondly, uh, and that's in verses 19 and 20, Verse 21, Daniel blessed the God of heaven because he providentially determines the course of human history. And then finally, Daniel blessed the God of heaven because he revealed his plans for the ancient world, his future plans for the ancient world to his people. We'll take those one at a time. First, Daniel blessed the God of heaven for because all power and wisdom belongs to him. And power, God's power and wisdom are what uh, the, Daniel opens his prayer with, praising God for, because of what has just transpired, uh, which we'll review here in, in a moment. But uh, first, the fact, let's just focus on the, the power of God. It's the, un, the unfathomable power of God is what enables Daniel, on this occasion, to do uh, or rather, it not enables Daniel, enables God to do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. If God were uh, the marshmallow God that so many uh, people who call themselves Christians, well, maybe not Christians, but so many people 
uh, think of as God is kind of a big marshmallow in the sky, and uh, he um, doesn't get his way all the time. His hands are kind of tied because he's he's wimpy. He uh, he doesn't possess the power to get done what he wants done. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the true God. The God of the Bible is unfathomably powerful indeed, infinitely powerful. And the scriptures repeatedly tell us that God does whatever he pleases. Psalm 115 verse 3 and 135 verse 6. And that nothing is too difficult for him. Jeremiah 32, 17 and many other passages could be cited. God is indescribably, unconceivably powerful and Daniel knew that and he believed that. He didn't just know it intellectually, he knew it in his heart. And he knew that it was God's infinite power that was protecting him and his three friends, as well as a whole lot of other people, from being murdered as a result of Nebuchadnezzar's order. Because he is the key through the vision that God gave him to prevent all that from happening. And God alone was responsible for that key. But it was God's power that was being displayed in that in that event and in, in the protection that was afforded to Daniel and his friends subsequently. God is also perfectly wise, not only in, uh, unfathomably powerful, but he is perfectly and always wise. And Daniel understood this in a, in a new and, um, and uh, a very blessed way at this moment in time because, again, of what had just happened. Um, again, the scriptures repeatedly make the point of how wise God is. In Psalm 145, uh, the scriptures declare that God's understanding is infinite. Understanding is a synonym for wisdom. Uh, and in Isaiah 40, verse 28, uh, we are told there that there are no limits to his understanding or his wisdom. There is no limit. It doesn't, you can't, you can't get to the end of the wisdom of God no matter how much time and effort you uh, apply to that task. And it is this perfect and infinite wisdom of God, along, of course, with his perfect holiness and goodness, that guarantees that God will always use the limitless power at his disposal in a righteous and a proper way. Always. Because he's not only power uh, omnipotent, He's also omniscient and all-wise. And Daniel, on this occasion, has just witnessed undeniable evidence of the unsearchable wisdom of God and power of God, but in the circumstances that uh, God has just unfolded before his eyes in the preceding hours and moments. How? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man on earth. Bar none. He had everything, everything that a man of the world, a worldly man, could ever want. He was also an exceedingly arrogant man. We learn that uh, more so over in chapter 4. Exceedingly arrogant man who who thought far too highly of himself, as most kings do. And Daniel has just now realized, just before uh, this uh, outburst of praise, Daniel has just realized that God has chosen to communicate his future plans for Nebuchadnezzar and indeed for the entire ancient world for years to come. He has chosen to communicate those plans to this king, this powerful, all-powerful, virtually all-powerful in human terms, arrogant king, and God has chosen to communicate those plans to him, but to, but did so in such a way that this information, meaning the dream and its interpretation, was beyond Nebuchadnezzar's ability to know or understand. Because it was a cryptic dream that he couldn't even remember. He just knew he'd had it. But he had no access to its meaning, to its import, for him or anybody else. He didn't know anything other than he had a dream, it appears. 
and the only one who could grant him access to his own dream and its meaning was, to use the Chaldeans' words, the gods. But there was only one. But at this point, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know that. He's about to find out. But he doesn't know it. But yes, it was the Lord God who was the only one who could uh, lift the veil on that dream and its meaning. Daniel realizes this, and he realizes what's going on, and Daniel also realizes that God is about to reveal these very details to Nebuchadnezzar in a manner that will force him to recognize God's, Yahweh's, sovereignty, sovereign control over him and his and his own, Nebuchadnezzar's own, utter helplessness. And that was, God was going to speak through the lips of a slave who was also God's mouthpiece, Daniel. And was going to provide the key through the revelation given to Daniel, not to the king. This is what's going to happen. And Daniel realizes that, and he goes, oh, the wisdom and power of God. That's his response, why he praises God for both here. So, you too, and I, we, should regularly be praising the Lord for these divine attributes. We need to remember, folks, we need to remember that in spite of the turmoil in our world, and even in our own individual lives, that God is all-powerful. He is not that wimp that so many other people think he is. He is the infinitely powerful God who is infinitely wise. All wisdom resides with him and flows from him to whomever he wishes to give it, as he did to uh, Daniel, as is evidence from Daniel's words in verse 23. It's all from God. And you and I should regularly be praising God for these and, of course, many other attributes that he possesses. Do you do that regularly? Do you regularly think on these attributes of God, particularly these two, because of where the text is today, and say, Lord, thank you, praise you, that you are who you are? Do you do that? You see, there's evidence for his power and his wisdom all around you. In this very room, at this very moment, there's evidence crying out to you, God is powerful, all-powerful. God is all-wise. And it's staring you and me right in the face, wherever we turn. We just need to acknowledge, we need to see it and acknowledge it. Work on that this week and for the rest of your life, by the way. Not only does Daniel bless the God of heaven because he's all-powerful and wise, but Daniel blessed the God of heaven because he providentially determines the course of human history down to the minutia. And this was the truth that Daniel is stunningly reminded of. He knew it already but he's stunningly reminded of it on this occasion when he learns the meaning of Nebuchadnezzar's dream uh, through the vision that God gave him. And the meaning is unpacked. I won't reread it, but starting in verse 36 all the way through verse uh, 45, um, he, he explains what is going on with the statue and uh, the, the stone that's thrown at it and the, the, the effects and so on and so forth. Just to remind you of what, uh, by way of summary, what is in that dream, uh, Daniel learns that God is the one who bestowed on Nebuchadnezzar the glory, power, and riches that he possessed and the dignity that he possessed. That was all God. He didn't acquire that because he was so such a great uh, 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 military tactician, because he was so um, shrewd in his dealings with people because he was so brave? No, that wasn't the reason why Dan, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had anything that he possessed. He says, uh, because in verse 36, and, or 37 rather, and uh, 38, because God gave it to you. 
That's the only reason you've got this, Nebuchadnezzar. And he told Daniel first. God, Daniel learns that God has determined that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, Babylon, will certainly be destroyed. Verses 31 through 34. It's done. Your kingdom's done. A stone is going to come and it's going to crush it. And it's going to be all, it's going to be dust. Be relegated to the dustbin of history. Your, all your great efforts. And God also, Daniel also learns through this uh, interpretation that's given to him of Dan, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, that God is going to bring about the rise and fall of three other kingdoms after Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And by the way, those three kingdoms are the Persian kingdom, uh, 39a, that's the second kingdom, the Greek kingdom uh, under uh, Alexander the Great, uh, that's in verse 39b, and the Roman kingdom in verse 40. Is referenced uh, the one that's the the iron the iron kingdom uh, the, represented by the iron legs uh, and I believe the feet as well in the statue. At any rate, Daniel realizes afresh, God has decided everything that's going to happen on the world stage for how who knows how long. Daniel didn't know how long that was. Turns out it was going to be six hundred, seven, eight hundred years. Till the fall of Rome, that was prophesied here in this thing. And folks, you and I, we need to acknowledge the way Daniel did, that God providentially orchestrates every event that transpires under heaven. When you stub your toe, God arranged it. When you didn't get a good night's sleep last night, like I didn't, God arranged it. No, it was my fault because I stayed up too late working on this sermon. <laughs> but at any rate, um, but God arranged it. And everything else that you care to mention, as I was talking to the children about. And folks, this past week, God orchestrated a change in the times and the epochs. Verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Let the name of the Lord be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. And it is he who changes the times and the epochs. Epics, if you want. I've heard it pronounced both ways. God did something this week. He just removed the United States equivalent of a king. He removes kings, and he establishes kings. God just removed our king by causing Donald Trump to lose his bid for re-election this past week, if assuming that sticks. And it may well stick. And he just set up or established the American equivalent of a new king in the person of Joe Biden, who won his bid for election, finally, on the third try. Now, Many of us may not be thrilled with this outcome. I dare say that in this room and perhaps watching at home. Not all, but many many are probably a little bit upset by what happened this past week. But the fact of the matter is, and this text teaches it clear as a bell, God himself brought about this change. End of story. And God did what he did on the political scene this past week for, a, for good reasons. We don't know what all those reasons are, or probably even what most of those reasons are, but we can speculate a little bit, I suspect. He did it perhaps as a um, form of, uh, not the only form of, but judgment upon our nation for its persistent and grievous defiance of God's moral law. Perhaps it's also a uh, form of judgment upon the church for her seemingly ever-increasing worldliness and unbelief. I'm talking about the word, not just picking on my own den- our own denomination, but the church at large, um, which is the evangelical church. The, the liberal churches don't even count as churches. They're, the Lord's removed his lampstand from them uh, already. But what could be called a legitimate church uh, in some sense, but w- increasingly worldly. 
But he did this for good reasons. He gave us Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and the others that uh, we've elected to office. He did this for a good reason. Good reasons, plural. Why? Because it is God who orchestrated this change and God is perfectly good. And he cannot but do what is perfectly good. And you and I need to look at the change in the political landscape with this truth very much at the forefront of our minds. Are you? Are you looking at what's happened with the mindset that God is a good God and he has brought this about and there's good that's going to come out of this? You and I not only need to acknowledge that God brought about the events that happened this past week and everything that happened this past week, but you and I need to praise him for doing what he's done. Praise him by faith, perhaps, but we need to praise him. Nonetheless, just as Daniel did in his day for what God did. Now, Daniel's Daniel's circumstances were perhaps uh, more uplifting to Daniel than our circumstances are to us in terms of the political change. But uh, the text indicates that praise is required when God does things that he does, whatever those things might be, raising up a king or deposing a king, for example. And you and I uh, shouldn't just praise him we should definitely do that for his what he has sovereignly orchestrated in our world and in our country. But you and I should also plead with him for the grace that we need to trust him, to bring good out of these new circumstances. Good that, um, in the form, uh, good in the sense that, uh, good that would bring about a blessing for God's people in the church. In other words, thinking of Romans uh, 8.28, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We need to think on those promises and and believe those that promise and others like it and ask that God would use our the world events to to, uh, be a blessing ultimately to his people, including us. And also, we need to trust him to bring good to himself. By that I mean we need to pray that God would be glorified by world events in ways that wouldn't have been otherwise had last week not occurred. Good is coming. It's just a matter of how and in what ways that God... um, And it may be in a way that we are utterly... um, unaware of, or would be shocked by. But we need to pray that God, and trust him, Lord, help me to trust you with what's going on around me, whatever it might be. Thirdly and finally, and very briefly, Daniel not only blessed God because of his infinite power and wisdom, and uh, blessed him uh, because He providentially determines the course of human history, but Daniel also blessed God because he revealed his plans for the ancient world to his people through him, that is, through Daniel. And he, of course, did this by informing Daniel of the content and meaning of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. But it wasn't just to Daniel and to his contemporaries, and his contemporaries that God revealed has revealed the future. He did that in Daniel's day to Daniel, to Nebuchadnezzar, to anybody else who cared to pay attention, believing or unbelieving. He revealed his will back then for a significant se- section of future history. But folks, God has also not only revealed his will to the Old Testament church through his prophets of old like Daniel, he has revealed significant elements and aspects of his future plan for the world 
to today as believers, to you and me. Revealed to us in his scriptures. Not through prophets. They don't exist anymore. I say that confidently. Um, He doesn't speak that way anymore as he spoke in Daniel's day. Uh, We are convinced. Um, But he does speak nonetheless through what the prophets and the apostles said in this holy book before me. Plans. He reveals his future plans for his people. We know uh, in the scriptures that we have a home awaiting us in heaven. It's our final destination if we are in Christ when we uh, leave this world. We know from the scriptures that we will one day be forever free of all sickness, pain, sorrow, and death. We know from the scriptures that we will be bodily raised from the dead if we die before Jesus returns. And we will have glorified bodies when that happens like Jesus' body. And we know from Scripture that we will reign over the new heavens and the new earth with Christ forever. We know all that. It's it's a fact. It's just waiting to, to be fully realized. That's the only thing. But God has also revealed his plans for those who fail to trust in Jesus as their only hope of forgiveness and escaping God's wrath, and that is they will be eternally damned forevermore suffering indescribable torment uh, in the bowels of hell, which is where God pours out his wrath forevermore. If you're here or listening to my voice and you are not trusting in Jesus Christ alone, uh, not in your baptism or your church membership or your good works or the fact that other people admire you, but Jesus Christ alone, the Jesus of the Bible, not the Mormon Jesus or the Jehovah's Witness Jesus, but the Christian Jesus, if you're not trusting in him alone, you are on the road to hell. And you will get there, and deservedly so, which is true of all of us, yours truly included, we all deserve to go. But you will make it to hell and burn forever uh, with uh, the, through the wrath of God unless you flee to the Savior of sinners, the only Savior of sinners that God has provided, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you, you don't need to hear anything else I said except that last thing I just said if you're not a Christian. You need Christ. You need to flee to the stone, by the way, who was Jesus, who shattered all those kingdoms spoken of in that passage, whose kingdom will and has already been established and will last forever. He is ruling over it now and will one day rule over it in a way that is obvious to everybody, even though it's not currently obvious to everybody. You need him. He is the king of kings. He was the king of Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king of the world. He is the savior of the world. And you need to repent of your wickedness and you need to flee to Christ if you have not done so because you don't know if you're going to have another breath, let alone another week. And at that point, it'll be too late. He has also, in his word, revealed the plans he has for the devil and his minions. He will cast them in to the lake of fire. And they will be destroyed forevermore. Praise the Lord. We know God has revealed not only to Daniel, but he has revealed to you and me his plans. Not all of them. Not what tomorrow will look like in our day. But his plans for big events. And we can, we, we should, like Daniel, praise him for these truths. That God is a God who reveals himself and his plans to his people. And we need to thank him for the comfort that he gives by revealing those plans. We don't have to wonder what the end of history looks like. It's already been written down. And all wrongs are one day going to be righted. All kings will one day bow the knee. And in the meantime, we are in good hands. But we need to trust him. We need to not allow the noise of the world's events to destroy our peace. It's easy to do, but we must not let that happen. By the grace of God, you won't.
nor will I. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being the sovereign potentate of the universe. We thank you that you have decreed all of human history from beginning to end down to the smallest detail. The action and the activity of every quark in the universe you have decided before you created those things. We thank you that that's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing for those of us who are your people. We ask, Lord, that you would help us. We do believe, but we ask that you would help us with our unbelief that so often afflicts us. When events, similar to events that have occurred this past week, upset us and steal our joy, steal our peace, sense of well-being, would you please give us greater faith to rest, actively rest, in your sovereign working in the world. And know that this is not our home. And not act like it is. Help us to act like heaven is our home, which it is. If there's anyone listening to me, Lord, who is walking in darkness right now, would you please lift the veil and grant faith to cling to Christ alone. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to our hymn of preparation for the Lord's Supper. It is 427. This is These last two hymns are in the Trinity hymnal, the red hymnal. So, uh, both both this one and the, the last hymn we were singing after the Lord's Supper. So 427, turn with me there and let's stand and sing. The Lord's Supper is one of two uh, holy ordinances or sacraments that Jesus instituted for the church to observe down through the ages uh, just before his ascension into heaven. The other, of course, is baptism. Record of the institution of the Lord's Supper is found in three, uh, several places in the gospel, or yeah, in the scriptures rather. Uh, one of which is Mark 14, verses 22 and following, where we read the following. And while they were eating, he took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take it, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I shall never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The Lord's Supper um, is to be observed, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, uh, in remembrance of Christ's sacrifice uh, rendered on our behalf. Um, the sacrifice, uh, of course, uh, we um, we also think not only of the sacrifice, we should also be thinking of his perfectly obedient life that is credited to our account, uh, and also his resurrection, uh, which is the, um, the victory, uh, the final victory and the affirmation from the Father that, uh, that Jesus' sacrifice um, and life was acceptable uh, and accepted by him on our behalf and for our well-being. Uh, but we are to observe the Lord's Supper. Um, and uh, as we do this, we are proclaiming Jesus' death until he comes again. This meal is... Uh, oh, by the way, I failed to mention this. Uh, we believe the meal is a uh, sign and a seal of the covenant of grace. Uh, this is... Uh, we differ from uh, other Christians uh, and some uh, Christian communions that believe that uh, these... Uh, the uh, the sacraments are um, are ind- indica- indicative of what has already transpired in the heart of a believer. Uh, our Baptist brothers and sisters believe that we differ, differ respectfully. We differ from them uh, on this matter. We think that the scriptures uh, teach that the uh, sacraments are a sign and seal of the covenant of grace, and that has different. Uh, that means something different than 
what some other communions uh, teach. Uh, it is a sign in that it, is, it symbolizes what Jesus uh, did for us in our place, in our behalf, uh, for our benefit. And it is a seal in the sense that it, God is saying something, Jesus in particular, remember this is his table, He's the, um, uh, he is the host, as we say, and uh, he is signifying to you that the promises that are that he has given in his word uh, regarding your well-being at present and in the future, those covenant promises are being reaffirmed by him through this meal to you. Um, and because it is a sign and a seal, it is also a means that the Holy Spirit uses to bless us, his people, uh, to grow us in and, and in holiness, and in faith, and in love, uh, and in our ability uh, to uh, live godly lives uh, for him. Uh, this meal is uh, not for everyone. Uh, if you come and partake of this meal, uh, you need to be a Christian. You need to be a baptized member in good standing of this or some other evangelical church. By that I mean a church that believes in the evangel, the good news, which is that Jesus is the only hope of sinners and it's only by trusting in him that you will be forgiven and go to heaven rather than hell. And if you belong to such a church, uh, have a membership in such a church, uh, uh, then that is fine, uh, even though you're not a member of this church. But you do need to be in good standing of such a church. Um, you must not be a... Um, professing Christian who is clinging to some sin in your life. If you are consciously clinging to some sin, refusing to let go of it, refusing to fight against it, uh, then you are, uh, you are mocking God right now. Uh, and God will not hear uh, and will not bless your participation in this meal. Indeed, it will be very dangerous to your soul if you were to partake. You need to ask God for the, to soften your heart uh, that you might repent of that sin uh, uh, before it proves you to be an unbeliever. Um, uh, you sh- need to stay away if that's the case. But if you're wrestling with sin, if you are struggling to obey and have had some, um, had some uh, moments that you'd rather not think about uh, this past week uh, where you disobeyed God uh, and grieved his heart, but you hate the fact that you've done that, and that you want to be rid of those sins that, uh, that offend God, if that's your situation, then by all means, you absolutely are the right person for partaking. You need to partake. You need the, the grace, the sanctifying grace that the Holy Spirit uh, will uh, impart to you uh, through this means. Let's now um, pray to the Lord and ask him to bless our participation in this meal. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the host of this table, that we are your servants, you are our king um, and our savior and, yes, our friend. And we thank you that you are here and that you offer to your people this glorious means of grace that reminds us of how much you love us. We ask that you would use our partaking of this uh, these elements Uh, to bless us through your Spirit's work in our hearts. We ask that you would set aside these uh, elements from their common everyday use under the holy purposes for which we are about to use them. And would you please bless our partaking to your glory. And we pray in your name. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples as I, ministering his name, give this bread to you. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. Please wait until we're all served, uh, and we'll partake together, and same with the wine.
sagen. The body of Christ was broken for you. Take an eat. In the same manner, he took the cup, and having given thanks, as we've already done in his name, he gave it to his disciples, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from it, all of you. Uh, there's wine around the perimeter, and the center is, for, is there's some grape juice for those who can, in good conscience, partake of the wine. But we'd encourage you to do so. blood of Christ was shed for you. Drink from it, all of you. Let's pray. Oh Lord, how grateful we are for what you have so kindly done for us in offering up your life as a substitute for ours. Thank you for not just uh, saving us, but loving us uh, with an uh, infinite love that uh, we will have as ours for eternity. Thank you for reminding us of your love and the greatness of your redemption for us through this meal. We pray that you would use the fact that we've partaken of it as a means to grow us in godliness, to make us more like you were uh, when you were walking upon the earth, Lord, uh, perfectly obedient to the Father. And we ask that you'd forgive us for any deficiencies in the way we've uh, conducted or participated in this service. Thank you that we are forgiven, and we rejoice in your ongoing covenant mercies. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.